Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is North America has the highest average weight and the greatest number of overweight people of any country worldwide. Americans come in at 177.9 pounds with about 74% of all people that aren't bulletproof being overweight. That would be people who aren't bulletproof, by the way. The continent of Asia, in contrast, has an average weight of 127.2 pounds with only 24% of its population overweight. That's a huge difference, and that should tell us that we're not doing something right here in the West. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today, you're going to hear more from Jonathan Baylor. Jonathan is author of a brand new book called The Calorie Myth. If you check it out on YouTube, I'm actually holding the book up right now so you can see it. It's uh, a book right after my own heart. In fact, I believe that one of the chapters in my upcoming book was tentatively titled The Calorie Myth because, <laughs> well, Jonathan and I are in alignment here. But here's why I like Jonathan. 
He's collaborated with some top scientists for over 10 years, looked at 1,300 studies, 10,000 pages of research, and his work has been endorsed by top doctors from Harvard Medical School, Johns Hopkins, Yale, UCLA, and things like that. So Jonathan's a pretty credible nutrition and exercise expert, but he also has 25 patents, and he's a senior program manager at Microsoft. So, I mean... If there's anyone else on earth with a similar background to me, these crazy tech guys who come over and become biohackers, it's Jonathan. So I always have a great time talking with you, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Dave. Thank you. You are most welcome. Well, let, let's talk about your new book. I'm, I'm pretty excited. We covered some of this in the last podcast about you know, the calorie myth in general. But why are you doing this now? Like, like why is this book coming out at, at December 31st, I think is the plan? Why is, why is this the right time for the world to wake up to this problem? <laughs> well, we're, we're going in the wrong direction, Dave, right? We're, we're trying harder and harder and harder and we're getting fatter and fatter and sicker and sicker. And, and sadly, it's not, that's not the case for everyone, right? I mean, your audience knows what they're doing. You know, they're part of this, this amazing 1% of our population that understands that quality is, is really the focus, food quality, exercise quality, but the mainstream keeps telling the other 99% of our population that they just need to worry about quantity, the quantity of calories they're consuming and the quantity of calories they burn off manually exercising. And that's really a dehumanizing way to treat people that we should spend our time and energy counting calories. And it also just doesn't work and it hasn't worked for the past 50 years and our economy can't sustain this model. So we've got to do something about it. I've started to believe, this is going to shock you, that calories actually do count. Now, they count in a way that, that is counterintuitive. What happens if you don't get enough calories? Yeah, so to be clear, calories count. The calorie myth is not that calories are unicorns, they don't exist. The calorie myth is that we need to consciously think about calories. Calories absolutely exist and they have existed. However, no one knew what a calorie was, let alone counted them up until the beginning of the obesity epidemic. So I find it hard to believe that counting them is required to avoid obesity. It feels like we have this natural animal instinct that says eat more or eat less. And certainly Gary Tobbs has written about that. And we've studied this ad nauseum. So we know that when people don't eat enough calories that they slow down, they get colder, their metabolism slows down, they eat more, their metabolism speeds up and they move more. So we already have all this, but we have this idea that instead of handling it like from a, an animalistic or an intuitive perspective that we need to handle it from a conscious kind of mechanistic perspective. But what about people who don't eat enough calories? Like I, I go to restaurants now and they're advertising like it's in my interest. Oh, look, a hundred calorie meal. I'm like, number one, if it's a hundred calories, it's not a meal. It's not even a snack. Right? Okay. <laughs> yep. But you're going to charge me more for less food because we're yep. counting calories. What if I really did eat a 200 or 300 calorie breakfast or lunch or dinner and I thought it was going to fuel me? Like what are the biological impacts of that going to be? Starvation is is certainly not healthy, nor is it sexy. And we need to remember that. But just if you do not fuel your body appropriately, I mean, what happens to your car if you don't put gas in the tank? I mean, in some ways, this conversation is is stupid. Not not to say that you're stupid, <laughs> but like hey. people, but, <laughs> you're obviously not stupid. But but the fact that that we need to remind people that eating food and fueling your body is a good thing and is important 
shows how sick our culture has become, right? The fact yeah. that we have to remind people that starvation is not healthy is bad. If you do not put fuel in a car, the car cannot run. If you do not put fuel in your body, your body cannot run. Your mind cannot run. It's not a bad thing to eat. In fact, eating is the most, one of the most important parts of life and we need to do more of it just smarter. We do. And it, it, we shouldn't have to have this conversation, but I know so many people, particularly women, who have been kind of sold on this. It's always, at least in the last hundred years, been you know, appropriate for women to daintily pick at a few leaves on their plate instead of actually eating. And I, I find it attractive when a woman says, oh my God, is that butter? Like, like pass it over, right? And oh, is that salt? Let me put some on top. Like, like a woman who eats um, is going to be healthy. And I like spending time with healthy people whose brains are turned on, right? And that said, when you don't get enough calories, especially the right high quality calories, when you don't get just enough food at all, things like adrenal dysfunction happen. What's your take on the link between a lack of food, not just healthy food, but a lack of food in general, and things like adrenal dysfunction or or uh, cognitive cloudiness or anything like that? What's your thoughts on that? So there, there's a one-two punch here, Dave, and I also want to get back to the female topic because that's really one of the most insidious aspects yeah. of the calorie myth is the suppression of women, and that's a wonder. We should absolutely talk about that. Yes, but the the one-two punch there. So first of all, we don't eat food, so most people are eating things that are not high in required things like vitamins, minerals essential amino acids, essential fatty acids. So if you're eating Twinkies and Ding Dongs and Ho-Hos, you're already not getting enough of those. Then if you cut back the amount of Twinkies, Ding Dongs and Ho-Hos you're eating, you're doubly malnourished. So you don't have enough energy and you don't have enough, uh, to continue the car analogy, you don't have gas in your tank, nor do you have windshield wiper fluid, nor do you have oil. <laughs> you just like, and you took the air out of your tires. I mean, you're really just in bad shape. This is why, uh, not to get too controversial, but gastric bypass and these types of surgeries, any surgery or, or mechanistic approach that helps people to eat less is in those situations, it's even more critical to think about the quality of food we're eating. Because if yeah. you can only take in 800 calories a day, you better believe that those 800 calories have to be picture perfect, or you're going to cause more problems than you had beforehand. So when we say to people eat less, we really have to think about how uh, deleterious that recommendation is because most people don't eat food. 40 to 60% of the calories of the average American are not coming from food. They're coming from nutrient poor edible products. So if I'm already <laughs> nutrient deficient and you tell me to eat less, well, you actually did make a great case study for the pharmaceutical industry and maybe that's why it's growing so quickly. I like the car analogy and certainly use it a lot, you know, brain octane oil, octane is what you put in there. But what if you took a car and you made the gas tank way smaller? <laughs> Would you run out yep. of gas more often? Yeah. If you put the highest octane, purest racing fuel you could get in that car, it would go a little further before it ran out of gas. But I don't believe that that's an appropriate surgery uh, for people as a weight loss mechanism because it's just unnecessary when you understand how the metabolism works uh, to the point that with Bulletproof Coffee, there are people who will lose a pound a day when they have a lot of weight to lose. And I'm sure you've experienced the same thing with your clients where people can lose weight pretty much effortlessly when they get the food thing right. Yeah, the only time I've seen 
let's call them physical interventions be appropriate is when we're dealing more with addiction scenarios. For example, if someone's addicted to heroin, oftentimes a physical intervention is needed because that person just literally has lost all control. It's not a willpower issue at that point. Their brain has been hijacked as you know all about neurological function. So there are plenty of clinical cases of food being treated like a heroin or a cocaine. In fact, study just came out showing that the uh, white part of Oreo cookies actually activates more opiate receptors in the brain than uh, cocaine does. So for individuals who are literally addicted to food, these are people who are eating till they're vomiting, eating till they're sick. I mean, just this is a bad, bad place. So I, Those I, people, yeah. I need to stop freebasing Oreos. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Or yes, yes. I, I shouldn't say what I was going to say. So yes, stop freebasing Oreos. <laughs> but the, the key takeaway for any mechanistic intervention is that's to help people just re regain neurological control. And then if you're going to do that, if you're going to shrink your car's gas tank, if you do still want to drive from point A to point B, you better make sure the best fuel possible is in there, even more so than you did before. So that, that's just a really important nuance, right? Because if a person ever gets a weight loss surgery, thinking that it will just help them eat less and they can keep up the habits, that is that will kill them. Literally, it will kill them. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing that uh, the first sign of, of that decline is a fertility in men and women. Like one of the first parts to shut down when you go down that path is uh, not enough calories or uh, not enough nutrition in the calories you eat, both of which are important. Uh, you start seeing that fall down and then you see the obesity and, and you know, it, it does lead to an earlier death than otherwise would happen. Uh, but a lot of people, okay, we're all going to die at some point. We're not going to think about it because it couldn't happen to me. So let's talk about getting fat. Why will eating more not make people fat? Like what, what's the take? This is kind of part one of your book, but I'm asking you to <laughs> Yeah, well, well, no doubt, Dave. And I know, I know you're a man who's not afraid of controversy. So before we actually get to that, can we go back to the whole um, females told they need to eat less and not really enjoy food? Oh, yeah. Let's just nail that one because, I, you know, <laughs> it just makes me sad when I, I see these women who are like, I'm so tired and I'm cold and I don't feel good. And I'm having, you know, monthly mood swings that are insane. Uh, and oh, by the way, I'll split my spinach leaf with you. And I'm like, ah, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, let, let, let's nail this one. Go for it. <laughs> Dave, this is so insidious because we can even look at it from an exercise perspective, right? women are basically like the, the way women are told to exercise is generally this cardiovascular, like don't lift weights, sh shrink yourself. Don't, don't become strong, shrink yourself. Don't eat food, don't fuel yourself, shrink yourself. Be smaller, be second class, be like, what, what are we actually communicating there to women that they, that they should, should shrink and not be fully there? That, that's so sad and it's so... Like it's 2013. What in God's name? I, I saw an awesome sticker. This is funny. I, I live kind of in the country. So this actually was a sticker on the back of a pickup truck. And it said, strong is the new skinny. Mm -hmm. and, and it was driven by this, you know, rock climbing, you know, <laughs> like, like take no prisoners. I'm guessing mid 20s woman. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. We want to make strong the new skinny. But there's something psychologically evil going on here when you know, people believe that I have to have less fuel and I have to spend the fuel I have doing useless exercise for what outcome? I, I don't even know what the 
the supposed outcome, I guess, is a flat tummy and looking good. But unfortunately, it doesn't lead to that. And it doesn't lead to any positive outcomes that I know of. How'd we get here? Do you know? Dave, we got here and it's it's not just, it doesn't just hit women, it hits all of us. But it gets back to the earlier point you made about this mechanistic view of the body that we need to manually intervene. And I'm, I'm a capitalist, right? I love capitalism. I think it's great to make money. The world is a better place. The pie can be grown. It's all goodness. However, if you can convince people that they're broken and that there's problems with them and that your products and services are required for them to function in the world, you can make a lot more money. So for example, if you can convince people that they need to manually balance calories, you can sell them a crap load of stuff to help them to do that. Just like if I convinced you that you need to manually count breaths in and breaths out, you better believe I could sell you a crap load of stuff to help you do that impossible task. Same thing with like vitamin C in and vitamin C out. Or what about thiamine, riboflavin, vitamin D, vitamin E? Like, could you imagine trying to consciously regulate basic biological functions like that? But in a culture where we, especially with females, tell them day in and day out, you're not good enough, you're inadequate, you need this makeup, you need this outfit, you need to do this with your kids, you need to do this for your husband, you need to do that, this, all this inadequacy, that by default you're inadequate, well a lot of bad things happen and that's obviously wrong and it's obviously sick. And that might be why a third of our country is now on medication to help them deal with this. That's uh, not somewhere I thought we'd go in this interview talking about it. Uh, how does this tie back to calories? Because yeah, we have this, this marketing message out there that, that says pay more money for foods that don't have enough food in them that also induce food cravings. Let's add a little MSG and NutraSweet to make sure you <laughs> crave another 100-calorie bar only a half hour later with the insidious effect of sucking willpower. And this happens to men and women. Um, but certainly any marketer would tell you that women are more susceptible uh, to you know the, the body image marketing and any just open any women's magazine. And you'll see that. Then again, you know, open a men's magazine and how many honestly malnourished guys with super, super lean six packs. Do you see 3% body fat is no healthier for men than it is for women. Um, yet we're, we're pushing guys in that direction. Is this like a conscious thing that big food companies are doing or is it just that they don't know how things work? It's absolutely a conscious thing, right? The only way, the only way, think about that. I mean, Dave, this is the most successful marketing case study ever because how, how could you possibly convince people that 200 calories of whatever at McDonald's is, is a healthy option than to convince people that you can equivalence class everything that's edible and all forms of physical movement using one measure, a calorie, that you can say that's legitimately that 140 calories, people actually believe this, marketers actually say this, 140 calories of spinach is just like 140 calories of Coca-Cola and you really don't have to worry about it anyway because let's move and you can just jog for a half hour and burn off those 140 calories anyway. So they've created this world where a large, large portion of the world's population believes that jogging is biologically equivalent to spinach, which is biologically equivalent to Coca-Cola. And when you do that, you, from a marketing perspective, you can now sell anything Right, I could sell you anything and just shrink the serving size and tell you that it's healthy or tell you that it fits in part of a, a moderate and balanced lifestyle. And I can paint anyone who disagrees with me as an extremist 
because it's all about moderation and balance, isn't it, Dave? Jonathan, are you a food terrorist? <laughs> I think you might be. <laughs> it's it's just all about just Dave, just just breathe in anything. Just breathe it in in moderation and just drink anything. Like propane is fine just in moderation, right? Cuz liquid is liquid, just like a calorie is a calorie. I actually proposed once uh, on a podcast that we switch from calories to grams. Like you have to have enough grams of food because calories are a slightly better measure than grams because calories remove water. Uh, so you, you're, other than that, though, there really isn't that much difference if you're going to be mechanistic about it. So what's cool about your book is that you've gone through and and done some of the core research there that says, all right, you know, here's the facts. So I would encourage people who are interested in this, uh, certainly you and I share the same perspective here. If they read your your blog, they read your book, they're going to get more details on this than I typically share. But I would say there is no way that a thinking person can look at the totality of the evidence in your book and believe that a calorie is a calorie. Uh, you might still think they matter because you have to have enough fuel to keep your car going. Um, and you know this, we, we have a problem actually, and maybe you and I are part of it, where... <laughs> We have well-meaning, health-centric people, and they'll go out and they'll eat toasted kale snacks, right? Because they're so nutrient-dense. It's the highest quality food you can get out there, right? Um, or at least it's advertised as that. And the problem is it, it's a 50-calorie snack, right? So if we say calories don't matter and then people start ignoring their calories because they're eating such high-quality foods, like, are we contributing to this lack of fuel when we talk only about food quality, like, do you worry about that? I I don't okay. because the two things. One is seventy percent of Americans have plenty of calories already on their body, so and that's why you know things like bulletproof coffee, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, yeah. are effective, right? They just enable you to eat lunch off of your hips rather than something that passed through your lips. Because if you've got a hundred thousand calories stored on your hips, well, it. You know, you 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 are not in a state of energy deficit, yeah. even if you don't eat necessarily. If your metabolism is is on track, so the the thing to keep in mind for me at least, Dave, is that the body is smart, right? We're not going to accidentally starve ourselves, nor will we accidentally overeat if we're eating the right quality of foods, and that's been borne out by every person who's ever lived in every civilization prior to the current three, three generations, because, and look at any animal in the animal kingdom, when they're in their natural environment, eating their natural foods, they don't undereat and they don't overeat, just like they don't accidentally take in too much thiamine or accidentally excrete too much thiamine, or they don't over blink or they don't over poop <laughs> or they don't over breathe. God, those last right? three have been challenges for me, but okay. <laughs> over blinking. Well, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Stop blinking so much. But we, we have, I mean, Dave, that's really, uh, some of this is just, it's, we've, we've gone so far off the ranch. Think about Maslow's hierarchy, right? These baseline biological things. Any organism that has survived as long as Homo sapiens, the most successful species on the planet, if we weren't able to use this part of our brain, our animal brain, to take care of these more, much, much more fundamental basic functions so that we can spend this part of our brain 
building technology and loving people and, and curing world hunger and writing and, and painting, we would have never gotten to where we are today. So unless we've just gotten horribly stupider in the past three generations and now need to manually regulate that which every other animal in the world seems to regulate automatically, if we never heard of a calorie, we would be better off as evidenced by every generation of people that ever lived prior to the 1970s when calories entered the mainstream. I don't disagree with you. I, I think they're a terrible way of, of thinking about food uh, as long as you're eating enough. And there's most people are eating too many nasty calories, to be perfectly honest, with no food in them, yeah. which you and I agree on. I just, I, I'm concerned about the, the subset of health-conscious people um, who have gone so far on the food quality spectrum that mm -hmm. they uh, that they don't have a conscious feeling for honoring their hunger <laughs> and feeding it. Yeah. So um, I, there's a subset of people listening to this show right now uh, who are high on the food quality spectrum and deficit in basic energy. And yes. I want to make sure that in the zest that we both have for sharing the idea that when you eat more calories, you tend to get thinner, or at least more quality calories, you tend to get thinner and feel good, that the message of eating eating enough calories for fuel isn't lost. Um, and I, I think that, that you and I are both there, especially because that affects women more than it affects men um, for whatever reason. And especially, Dave, for people that are already thin, like if you're already thin and fit, yeah. being in a state of insufficient, like you don't have those backup stores. Your body is going to slow down your brain and burn off your muscle. If you're at 11% body fat, your body is someone who's at 11% body fat will not burn body fat as readily as someone who's at 40% body fat, right? So if you take a person who's at 40% body fat and you were to get them in a state of exogenous caloric deficit, which is not necessarily from just eating less because their body will slow down. We talked about taking a person with 11% body fat and doing the exact same thing to them will cause a much different and from a common sense perspective, also a much different biological response, simply because that body and that metabolism is much different. Let's shift from the body to the brain. What do calories do to the brain? Like you, you wrote about this in your Smarter Subconscious chapter, which is pretty cool. So how do we use calories to make us smarter or less smart, as the case may be? Like what's, what's the, the elevator pitch for that part of the book? Your brain is the most, one of the most caloric, hungry aspects of your body. So if you want to talk about brain fog or the, this is, if you've tried to diet, it, it sucks. Like you feel like garbage and that's just because your brain is shifted into second gear, right? The first thing that's going to slow down is going to be your primary consumer of calories, which is your brain. So if you want to compromise every area of your life, every area of your life instantaneously under eat, because your brain mm -hmm. controls every area of your life. And if you put a pillowcase over it, which is basically what happens when you <laughs> undereat calories, it doesn't work. And everything yeah. in your life will suffer. Everything. So if people want to have a healthy, strong career and a healthy, strong personal life and love life and all of that, and they want to lose weight by cutting calories, is it going to work? No. <laughs> and in yeah, fact, flat out no is exactly no. right. And the, the data support that. So if you look at the actual epidemiological data that's been uh, done and the surveys that have been conducted, 
the failure rate for the conventional approach, which is take fewer calories and consciously just eat less and burn more calories off, the failure rate is 95.4%. So that means there's a 4.6% long-term success rate. Obviously, that's low, but just to put in perspective how low that is. So 4.6% success rate to do what we're all told is the physiologically correct approach. They also did a study, the American Cancer Society did a study on the long-term success rates of quitting smoking. Very interesting comparison because nicotine is the third most addictive substance in the world, trailing only heroin and cocaine. We all know how hard it is. Well, not all of us. A lot of us have tried. <laughs> only you, or Microsoft guys. No people <laughs> that have tried to quit smoking. It's incredibly difficult. Dave, guess what the long-term success rate for quitting smoking cold turkey? So this is with no Nicorette, no patch, no counseling, no social support, literally just cold turkey smoking cessation. What's the long-term success rate, you think? It's got to be like 5 or 10%. Yep, it's 5.5%, which is obviously very low, but it's not as low as 4.6%, which is almost a full percentage point lower in terms of success rate. So really, if you think smoking is hard to stop, Try stopping eating. It's even harder. Uh, that is a great quote. Uh, in fact, you need to make one of those little uh, infographic quote things to come on <laughs> Facebook uh, because that is a, a summary of why it's not going to work for you to just decide to eat less. Like it, it's very, very pushy biologically. Okay, what about using calories to make you smarter as opposed to, you know, okay, if you don't get enough calories, you're going to be slower because your brain has less fuel to think. I, I, I've definitely ascribed to that philosophy and have experienced it myself when I was 300 pounds and trying to eat low calories. But what about making you smarter? Like what, what are the tips and tricks you've got in the book for us there? In terms of just baseline energy, once, once you're at an energy sufficient state, I haven't seen any data around being in a state of energy surplus boosting brain function. However, things like nutrients in terms of amino acids and fatty acids and various vitamins and minerals enhancing brain function, absolutely. So absolutely, this is where you want to make sure you're taking in enough calories, but then ensuring that those calories are delivering a lot of things like the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, a lot of things like you know, essential vitamins and minerals. That's really where my research at least shows you're going to get the most brain, brain bang for your buck. I would agree with that. The one study I've seen that says there's a benefit to actually excess calories was looking at overfeeding and sex hormone binding globulin. So not to get too biohackery for <laughs> everyone driving in, in uh, rush hour right now <laughs> listening to this, uh, but a sex hormone binding globulin uh, will stick to your testosterone, your estrogen, your progesterone, and make it less bioavailable. And there's a good study out there that shows when you overfeed, that is you eat a caloric surplus, not that it's going to make you fat. It can, but if everything else is lined up right, it probably won't, but that it will drop your levels of SHBG, which you want to do. So having more testosterone or more progesterone actually can affect the energy and focus that you have and could definitely have an effect on how smart you are or at least how smart you feel. Um, try being low on testosterone like I was because I was obese uh, as a young man uh, and then feeling the difference between not enough testosterone and physiologically adequate testosterone. Like it lights the fire, not just in your genes, but <laughs> in your brain. 
<laughs> and in your pants. Yeah, th- that was the jeans I was talking about. <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Jeans with a J, not with I a G. Just, I just realized I wasn't very clear on that. But yeah, the fire in your pants. Like having a sex drive is nice uh, when you're in your 30s. Uh, but having uh, a brain that works as well and you know, having that that same passion for your work or your career or your mission uh, is is transformative. And it's kind of funny, but if you've been on a low-calorie diet, and you're recovering from you know, being a low-calorie vegan even, which is almost by definition that's what happens. Certainly did for me when I was a raw vegan. Uh, you, need to, you need to really consider what's, you know, what's going on with SHBG and a period of overfeeding like I did, 4,000 calories a day for a couple of years, didn't make me fat. So still I was surprised it didn't, but it didn't. Well, and it, it calls into question, Dave. I mean we got biohackery. We can get a little metaphysically right now too of like what is – overeating if if the body is designed to balance us out and it sees that there's a surplus of energy it could store it as fat or it could say hmm you know that muscle tissue i've been wasting away aka sarcopenia maybe i should trigger some more muscle protein synthesis yeah and and get that going you know those those that hor- those hormones i turned off to your point maybe i can turn those back on so while you are quote unquote, well, one, we can never actually know if we're in a state of caloric surplus. Like you cannot measure that. It, you can't because let's say you do eat an additional 400 calories and let's say that mm, part of those calories were some wonderful protein and you triggered muscle protein synthesis at regular intervals and you never did before. You may react to those 400 additional calories in with 600 additional calories out because your body's synthesizing new tissue. So by overeating 400 calories, are you actually in a state of caloric deficit now? That's why these conversations are so convoluted and strange because we can never actually, we we can never know those numbers. Even if you're in a calorimetry lab where they're measuring how much you breathe in and breathe out, they measure how much you weigh, all of your motion, how much heat comes off the body and all that, I don't believe that the heat that comes off the body in a very careful university setting accounts for muscle synthesis or how many calories were used to make physiologically expensive hormones like testosterone versus to make essentially lipids that you burn for fuel. Like it's not going to be in that equation, right? Absolutely. And just even at a most basic level, and this doesn't require the level of insight and passion that you and I bring to this subject, but just think about one of the if you were God and you were designing an organism, wouldn't you say that if I give an organism insufficient fuel, I'm going to give it all kinds of ways to adapt to that. And so maybe, for example, beating your heart could be done like your body could say, oh, I'm going to do that in a not very uh, like precise is maybe the wrong word, but it's not like, oh, my God, I'm in a shortage state. So I'm going to like meticulously allocate this energy an organism will obviously do that. It will obviously conserve when it needs to conserve. So this idea of eating less, creating a state of caloric deficit, or eating more, creating a state of caloric surplus assumes that the body is in a fixed state and it's not. It's in a (laughs) dynamic state. That's the difference between biology and math. Biology is adaptive and once you understand that, like once you understand that your body is an adaptive organism, you trying to just deprive it of things doesn't even make common sense anymore. It, it is on its face illogical when you have the assumptions that you and I just shared. And the problem is that most people, 
are pretty good at, at basic logic, but when you feed them crap information and they put it through the little logic engine in the brain, you're going to come out with behaviors like the nutritional equivalent of wearing a hair shirt or self-flagellation, where you walk around all day sort of in a state of suffering because it must make you a better person because it's going to make you thinner. And I love that you know, you're flat out using the M-word myth and just putting it out there like this is BS and here's a lot of references to back that up. Now, well, Dave, just real quick, yeah. I appreciate that. And in terms of people being logical, that's why like this isn't the vast, vast, vast majority of our population's fault. If you are told that the cure for a disease is to get the bad blood out of your body, which is what we did a couple hundred years ago before we understood like viruses and bacteria, then you'd figure out the most efficient way to bleed yourself. Like, should I slit my throat? Should I slit my wrist? Like, what's the most effective way to get blood out of my body? Because the bad stuff is in my blood, right? And maybe you'd go to seminars where you'd learn more effective ways to bloodlet. And you'd go up to the mountains and do like trust falls with your team members to help you be a more efficient bloodletter. Those are all very logical things to do if you believe that the cause of disease is bad blood and that you need to get blood out of your body. And if you believe what we've been told, what I was told as a personal trainer, that a calorie is a calorie, that calories are all that matter and you just need to eat fewer calories and burn more, then everything we're doing makes perfect logical sense. That's why we need to change the fundamental paradigm because logical steps in a flawed paradigm causes badness. And that's what we're experiencing now. I, I agree with everything you just said. And it makes me question, just last week I was looking at ferritin levels in my blood and I couldn't donate blood, so I was bloodletting using a butterfly needle into a beaker. <laughs> I, are you telling me that I shouldn't have done that because now I'm all confused? Maybe I should use a different analogy. Let's, let, <laughs> let's, call, let's call calories the flat earth theory of nutrition. I'm, I'm actually not giving our time in that I do donate <laughs> blood. And I really did when I couldn't find blood donation. I donated my own blood into a beaker and poured it in the backyard to fertilize the plants. Um, <laughs> but that was because I was going after a specific biohackery thing. And you should not do this unless you're married to an emergency room physician who can pull the needle out if you pass out just so no one dies. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and your analogy though was perfect, by the way. I just had to laugh because like, look, you look at me breaking the analogy. <laughs> so one of the things that the Bulletproof people love is weird facts. You know, I, I do this, you know, today's weird fact of the day on my podcast. What did you come across in your research on calories? Like what are the things no one would, would expect or just the weird stuff that came up? The, the weirdest fact. This fact blew my mind and I, I start the book with it. It's, it's a, in a story. So uh, researchers over at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill did a study to see how many calories we're consuming, right? Because that's all we hear is that we're over consuming calories. And of course, these are going to be approximations, right? Like you cannot, there's no way to exactly know how many calories every single person is eating on average, but you can do it to the best of your ability. So they did that to the best of their ability and they calculated uh, based on food production and waste and yada, yada, yada at a GDP level, how many calories we were eating in the 1970s when we were basically at a state of healthy levels of obesity and such and such. And then they calculated what happened over time. And they found that in the modern era, we are consuming about 570 more calories per person. This is, of course, an estimate, but it's interesting 
than we were in the 1970s. You say, wow, like that's, that's, there you go. Like there's the cause of our obesity epidemic, right? Over consuming calories. But then you take a step back and you say, actually, that fact, rather than proving that we just need to eat less and exercise more, actually proves the exact opposite. It proves that there has to be a homeostatic regulation in the body. Because if you do the math and you assume that that was a gradual increase in caloric intake, so you average it to about 300 calories more per person per year, we should have gained about 976 pounds per person since the 70s based on that caloric surplus. From 2006 alone, (laughs) the average American should have gained about 400 pounds. And we haven't. Obviously, we've gained about 20 pounds on average. So where did 98% of the weight we should have gained go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Into food marketing. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny you you threw out those numbers. Uh, About a couple of years, actually three years ago, when I did my 4,000 to 4,500 calorie a day experiment, I thought maybe for 60 days I would do it and I would gain two pounds. And I would say, look, the data says I should have gained 20 and I gained two pounds. But I did it for two years because I didn't gain weight, but I grew a six pack. And at the end of the two years, I did the math and I should have weighed 616 pounds. And like the numbers are that big and for you to apply that to just the whole population in general is brilliant because like, let's face it, none of us, okay, maybe not, there's probably a couple of us who weigh about 900 pounds, but not very many. Um, So what that means is our core assumptions are wrong. And every time you feel guilty when you pick up a piece of food, especially one dripping in butter, the way broccoli should always be served, (laughs) uh, then that guilt is based on a false assumption and you internalize that assumption to the point that it became a neurological response, which is what guilt is. Mm -hmm. So the way to to deprogram that is to actually put salt on the broccoli along with the butter and then eat that and feel good about it. And then notice, wow, I have lots more energy when I do this and I feel better and I have more energy and my love life improved and I felt better at work and you know, your life changes. And how long does it take? I mean, I know from the, my work with clients, but in your book, you, you mention an amount of time it takes for someone to notice a difference. In terms of non-scale based differences, because I am a, as much as I hate calories, the only thing that I hate more is a scale because yeah. mirrors are better than scales. We agree. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, and tape measures and genes are also great, great measures as well. The, way you see, so personally, I'm a little bit more concerned with getting immediate results in terms of my core function. Like the reason I'd be, the reason I'm here, the reason you're here, the reason all your listeners are here are not to weigh a certain amount and is not to have a certain level of body fat percentage, right? Unless you're a professional model, that's not why you're here. Your purpose is something much grander than that. So you will start to be able to better execute your purpose 24 hours, no question. Just like if you put, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not that, and the fact that we have to say this, Dave, again, it's just a reminder of like, this is such a big problem that we should all just wake up and be so passionate to solve because the idea that eating enough and good quality stuff makes you feel better. (laughs) Duh. Like like putting premium gas in your gas tank versus putting kerosene in your gas tank will make your car run faster and better immediately. (laughs) Uh, It. It seems like such common sense, but uh, bringing some of that, you know, common sense back into the national discourse on nutrition is something, it's a mission that you and I both share. One of the ways that you can help that, Jonathan, is 
give me the elevator speech for debunking the calorie myth. Like, how should people who hear this, who understand, who've experienced the power of butter <laughs> in their daily life, like, how should they tell their friends in one or two sentences that calories are stupid? <laughs> well, <laughs> or maybe that was it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I would just say before anyone knew what a calorie was, everyone was slimmer and healthier. So, how could counting calories be required for health? And then they'll respond, your friend will respond, well, we're not as active as we were back then. And then you could actually say, well, I mean, then we could get into some other studies that actually show that we're burning just as many calories as we were historically. And in fact, we're burning about as many calories as modern hunter-gatherer tribes because when you are more active, your body just burns fewer calories when you're not being active because again, it's trying to balance itself out. So the, the quick elevator pitch is just that we never counted calories before we had a problem. So how could counting calories be required to solve the problem? That is a great summary. Now, Jonathan, you are the only guest on the show who's ever escaped the final three questions because I forgot <laughs> to ask them when I, when I interviewed you uh, a while back. So now's my chance. Every single guest except you has answered this. What are the top three recommendations you have for people, not based on the calorie myth, but just based on your entire life's journey for people who want to perform better, people want to kick more ass? Top three most important things you've learned. Very first thing would be if you own a bathroom scale, I literally want you to purchase a baseball bat. If you don't have one already, go outside into a safe area. If possible, videotape this. <laughs> just beat the hell out of your scale because that will trigger a, an emotional release of this old model because a scale is a physical representation of this suppressive, broken, shrinking model. Destroy that. This is Physically like the, destroy that. The fax machine in office space, but you want this with a exactly. bathroom scale? All right. I, I like that image already. Exactly. Do you, do you have so. like a red stapler or a red food processor or something that, that's involved as well? Well, no, Dave, I just have that dream, right? I just want people to blanket YouTube with videos of freeing themselves from the calorie myth by destroying their scale. So let's, let's get that started. I love it. The second thing I would recommend doing is getting a, if, if at all possible, getting a membership or getting access to a bulk food provider. So find a farmer's market, join Amazon, subscribe and save, join Costco, join uh, Sam's Club, find a place where you can just see and buy an abundance of brilliant food. Because when you start shopping and looking at those kinds of places rather than convenience stores or traditional grocery stores, this idea of abundance and real food and buying it in bulk, like people should be eating pounds of food. <laughs> pounds of food. And if, if you eat a Pop-Tart for breakfast, like just think about it. If your goal is to eat three pounds of food today, you're going to have to eat a lot of Pop-Tarts to get there. So, there, so There's three things at Costco worth talking about just as a little side thing before we get to your final answer. Smoked sockeye salmon, avocados, and Kerrygold butter are all available at Costco. <laughs> With those three things, you can have a pretty damn good day. Absolutely. I'll just say that. Anyway, so I don't want to take you off your role here, but, no, but no yeah, problem. Costco has some bulletproof food in it. Absolutely. So blow up your scale, uh, get access to a lot of food in an affordable fashion. I personally love Costco. And then third and finally would be hmm, if you own a treadmill, sell it. <laughs> they make because good clothes racks. Come on. 
<laughs> I would say, yeah, the, the third thing would be free yourself, if at all possible, from the exercise more mythology, because one of the most difficult ways to stay on track nutritionally is to try to do that while over-exercising. Because if you want food cravings for the wrong kinds of edible products, the fastest way to do that is to perform the type of physical movements that we've all been told to do. So not only, Dave, have we been told to eat the wrong things, but we've been told to do the exact physical movements that make us crave them. It's kind of funny how that works. <laughs> Jonathan, it's it, almost like someone thought about all this stuff. <laughs> Jonathan, it, it's been a pleasure as always. And I am so excited for people to be able to read The Calorie Myth. It is, uh, it's a good book and you've, you've done your homework and you've done your research and I appreciate that. Can you tell people where they can learn more about you and about your work? Absolutely. For the book, just check out caloriemythbook.com. Massive amount of free resources there. And it'll also direct you to grab our free 28-day program as well as daily tips which is pretty cool. You can get every single day. We'll send you a new tip on your phone or wherever. And also a 28-day quick, quick start program. You'll also get links to our podcast, which is trying desperately to be as popular as the podcast we're on right now. But that is a Herculean task. So, so hop over to caloriemythbook.com and everything else can be found there. Thank you. We'll put links to all of those in the show notes as well so people can find that when they come to uh, the Bulletproof site and uh, make sure they can get hooked up with your book and we'll include links to all the other stuff we talked about as well. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks so much, Dave. It's always a pleasure. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.